Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning, Generations Church. How are we doing? Come on. Let's go. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I woke up this morning. I went outside when I first got up. I was like, man, it's going to be a beautiful day. Like, we're going to go to the pool today. And then I came to church and I was like, man, what happened to the weather in a matter of an hour and a half? It was like sprinkling rain. But however the weather is right now, I haven't been out in a while. But however the weather is, today is a great day. And I'm excited that you are here because today is the day that the Lord has made. Am I right? And we will rejoice And can we just give it up for our worship team today? What an incredible time leading us in worship. They do a phenomenal job each and every week. They get here about 6.30 on Sunday morning, in the morning, and they serve, and they get prepared, and they pray, and they worship. Uh, They don't just run through the song. Man, they worship while they run through the song. So I'm thankful for them uh, and the media team as well. Uh, They don't get enough credit, but I'm thankful for them today. If I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Aaron. I am the associate pastor here at uh, Generations Church. So if you're uh, looking to get better connected here at Generations Church, I would love to talk with you. I would love to meet with you, see how I can get you in a G group, see how I can get you on a serving team, but then ultimately get connected here at Generations Church to make this place a place that you can call home here at Generations Church. So I would love to meet you. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you in the lobby right after service. And I know the announcement video hit on a lot of great things But Friday, June 30th is our Legacy Makers Golf Tournament, uh, and I'm very excited about this. You know, we say, and you've seen it and heard it in a lot of the announcement videos, whether you're Tiger Woods or you hit it in the woods, uh, we would love for you to be a part. And I just want to admit, I'm one of the ones that hit it in the woods uh, all the time. I lose more balls than there are holes in golf. Uh, so, uh, I'm still going to play. We would love for you to play. Uh, but if you don't play, we would love for you to help us get connected, uh, to someone at your work, or if you are the person to talk to about whole sponsorships, uh, so that we, uh, can, can raise money to give shoes, uh, to, to, uh, we're going to the orphanage in Guatemala in September on a mission trip. And we're going to bring two pairs of shoes per poor, uh, kid, uh, when we go, uh, so we would love your help in that, and a lot of different ministry missions efforts come out of that as well, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. Go to our website, g.church, or the Church Center app for that, but today, I am excited about today's message. I'm excited about uh, this summer series that we're about to go in, and today, we're kicking off this brand new series called Summer 7. Somebody say Summer 7. Summer 7. It is summertime, and we're excited uh, it's going to be a fantastic series. So for the next eight weeks, and we're going to take July 2nd off the weekend of July 4th, and we're going to go a different route, but then we're going to come back to it. But for the next eight weeks, we're going to study the book of Revelation, and, and, and which is the last book in the Bible to see what Jesus has to say to Christians living in the end times. And when we announced this series last week, I think it was the first time I, ever in my life, when, when I've heard of a series or a, a sermon coming, and you just heard this audible, like, gasp. I don't know if it was out of fear or excitement, but I'm excited about it. Uh, but it was the first time I ever heard it. I was like, wow, what in the world? That's awesome. Uh, so I do want to say that, that there, there's, there's a ton about Revelation that is scary to read, confusing to read, but we don't want to miss the obvious truths of the Word of God while searching 
for the obscure. Sometimes people don't even read Revelation because it's confusing to them, because it's scary to them. Thinking about the end times is scary to them. But there's some obvious lessons that we can learn through the book of Revelation, and we're going to learn about those truths through this series. So if you miss it, miss a week, go back and watch, uh, study. We're going to be looking at the first three chapters of Revelation uh, and what Jesus says to the churches in Revelation. Uh, but go back and watch if you need to, if you miss a week. Uh, but get in the Bible, uh, open up your Bibles to Revelations and read along with us through this series. Uh, now to set the stage you'll see that I have this big old mailbox. And I told someone I'm not used to having a mailbox because mine and Bethany's neighborhood, we don't have mailboxes in front of our house. We have a community mailbox. But I have this big old mailbox on stage to me today because this series, uh, Summer 7, is about the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches uh, in Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 1, John, the apostle John, uh, is on this tiny island called Patmos, which you'll see on the screen. And basically, this island is a prison island. Um, and, and so the Apostle John is sent to this island to be in prison. This is probably one of my greatest fears, to be secluded on an island by myself. The other one is to be in the middle of the ocean by myself. That, that's scary to me. But he's on this island by himself. And in Revelations 1-9, it tells what crime He committed. And it says this I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God in the testimony of Jesus. John is being persecuted for preaching God's word and telling people. About Jesus. And so he's sent to this island of Patmos uh, to be in prison. That's like someone coming in here and arresting me, arresting Pastor Jeremy, and taking them to a random island saying, You're in prison on this island for preaching and proclaiming the word of God. And that is true in some parts of the area. There, there, uh, the world. There's some parts of the world you're not allowed to preach, you're not allowed to read the Bible, you're not allowed to proclaim uh, the goodness of. Of God, and you can be arrested for that. And, and he's the last living, John is the last living apostle at this point. All the other ones are dead. And one day on the island of Patmos, John receives this stunning revelation, this, this vision, this unveiling of God's word of Jesus Christ, the, the resurrected, the exalted, and glorified. And it's overwhelming to him. And John writes, Uh, In Revelations 1, 10 through 11, saying this, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, if I'm on an island by myself, and all of a sudden a loud voice comes up behind me, I'm running. I, I don't know where I'm running to, but I'm running and trying to hide. So I'm picturing John. I don't know what he did, but I would probably run scared. But all of a sudden, this loud voice like a trumpet says this, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, I knew I was going to get messed up on that one, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. John turns around and discovers the voice belongs to Jesus, who says, John, I want you to write seven letters to the seven churches 
uh, which uh, are in seven cities in Asia Minor. And you can, you can still visit each of these places today. And as you can see on the map that's going to come up behind me, they're located in modern-day Turkey. And as you look at them, uh, you see the seven cities, seven churches, and they look like this horseshoe shape. And what it is, which this was mind-blowing, I didn't know this, this is the Roman mail route. So if you have great eyes and you can see, uh, which I don't, the only reason I can see is because this is a humongous screen and I'm very, very close. But way down here, you have the island of Patmos. And, and then you see all the seven cities. And this is the mail route. So it started from Ephesus to Smyrna all the way to Laodicea. And, 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 and in this, Jesus dictates uh, John to write these letters to these seven churches in these seven cities. And John delivers them. John sends them and they are delivered to these churches. And I got to warn you, they're not what you would expect. They're not what you would expect. In Revelations 2.18, it says, these are the words of the Son of God, which, whose eyes are like a blazing fire. These are words of heat, and these are words of intensity. These are words of, of passion. This is not the Jesus you and I typically imagine in, the, in our mind's eye when we think of Jesus in the Gospels. In the, in the Gospels, we see Jesus as this baby in a manger. In the Gospels, we see Jesus as a servant who humbly serves his disciples by, by getting on his hands and feet and washing his disciples' feet. We see Jesus in, 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 in the Gospels wounded on, on the cross. But this is the revelation or unveiling vision of Jesus Christ as you and I will see him next. Majestic glorified, and all-powerful. And these words are hot. These words are, are a blazing fire. These words have heat and intensity. And in this, he commends some churches while he condemns other ones. He, he, some he rewards while others he rebukes. Jesus points out the things they're doing well and convicts where they're falling short. In this image of Jesus giving each church his personal thumbs up or personal thumbs down is super intense. And imagine Jesus writing Generations Church a letter saying, these are things you're doing great, these things you're doing well, but then there's some things that, that you're doing wrong. And each week we'll open one letter and ask, what is Jesus saying to this church. Today, we're going to look at the first one, the church at Ephesus. But what is Jesus saying to each one of these churches? And then we're going to kind of go, go further in that to a little bit more scarier question to ask, what is Jesus saying to Generations Church? But then we're going to go even a step further, which is really scary to me, is what is Jesus saying to us personally? What is Jesus saying to me personally? What is Jesus saying to you personally through these words? And imagine, like I just said, imagine Jesus writing Generations Church a letter and, and, and by, by, by Jesus himself. What would he say about our passion for God 
as our church, as a church? What would he say about our perseverance during hard times? What would he say about our, 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 our faithfulness to him and our love for him? But then also, if he wrote you a personal letter, what would he say that you're doing great and, and you're doing fantastic at? But then also, what would he say that you need to kind of fix and kind of change? What, would they bring words of reward, like great job, or would they bring words of rebuke? Like, come on, you can fix this. You can do better in this. I believe we're living in some of the end times, the last days before the return of Jesus and his words of warning and hope are as relevant today as they were in the first century. So let's open up our ears. Let's open up our hearts as we go in the series. Let's open up our minds and, and, and souls to what God has to say to us as a church, but then us personally as well. So that's what we're going to do. Are you excited? Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to open a letter each week and read one of Jesus's letters. So let's dive into week one, uh, which is the church at Ephesus. Uh, and we're going to read his letter to us. So if you have your Bibles, if you have Bible apps, go to Revelations 2, 1 through 7. You can read along with me. I will be in uh, the NIV version. And we're going to call the letter to the church at Ephesus, the forgetful church. They're forgetful church. That's the overall thing for today for this church is that they were forgetful. In Revelations 2, 1 through 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, you, your, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and, not have, and have not grown weary. Verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove, remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, and which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we see this. There's some heat and intensity coming through these words that are from Jesus. And just to give you a background of the church at Ephesus, Ephesus was this thriving metropolis city. It wasn't just this podunk, you know, backwoods church that, you know, nobody knew about. It was in this major uh, city in Asia and Ephesus was this cosmopolitan city like LA or Hong Kong. It had it had a seaport and it was on the coast and it was considered the gateway to Asia. The people there were well educated, uh, so this wasn't coming uh, wasn't some rural town uh, with this little redneck church. This was this Ephesian church was influential in, in, in Asia and it and it had it had influence to the other churches. So he writes to this one. First, in which is why Jesus writes in verse 1 of Revelation 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars 
in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstand. You can see in this text where it, where it says, words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Revelation is this apocalyptic literature which, which uses symbols to represent certain things. And in, in chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus says in Revelation 1, 20, he says, the stars are the angels of the church. The Greek word for angels is messenger, which, which equals messenger, which represents the pastor of each church. church. So it's saying, I want each pastor to, in each city to read my letter to their congregation. So it's just like him writing a letter to us. Pastor Jeremy would stand up and he would read this letter to us. And, and it continues on uh, again in, in Revelations 2, 1, but saying, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The lampstand is a symbol for the church, which is supposed to shine light in the, in the sin-darkened culture. So Jesus was walking among the seven churches. He was, he was taking notes. He was, he was uh, inspecting its fruits, seeing how each one is doing. And he says these four shocking words in verse 2 of Revelation 2. In the first part, it says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Jesus has been walking around his church, and he says, I've been watching you guys carefully. I've been observing. I've been evaluating, and I see it all. I've been sitting in your meetings. I've been, uh, if you're on the G team, I've been sitting in your huddles. I've been, I've been watching, and I've been seeing how you serve. I, I've stopped by you know, I've stopped by the nursery. I've stopped by G-Kids and seen how that's going. I, I listen to your singing. I hear how you talk uh, in the lobby, and I hear your gossip. I hear the good things you say. I hear the bad things you say. And I see your, G, your deeds. And Jesus says, I know your deeds. I see everything. It's kind of like, does anybody ever watch that uh, TV show, Undercover Boss? Anybody? A couple, maybe? No, a little bit. Okay, a couple people. It's kind of like, well, first of all, it's like, if I'm an employee, like, there's cameras, there's some weird guy dressed up or girl dressed up in some kind of makeup, and you're like, okay, this is not a normal person. You're like, something's going on here. But uh, this kind of like an episode of Undercover Boss, which I like watching every now and then. It's kind of like that. Jesus is about to give this job review to his church in Ephesus, and he's like, my, here's my evaluation of your work. There's some positives and there's some negatives. Some things I commend you for and some things are broken that need fixing. And like a good boss, Jesus begins with the positive. If you're a boss in the room, you always begin with the positive. If, you've ever not, if you're not a boss in the room and you start hearing positive, you're like, where's the negative coming? And then, you know what? If you're a boss, you kind of sandwich it together. I call it the positive, negative, positive sandwich or positive sandwich. You do, you do the positive first and then you do the negative and then you follow it back up with the positive. And that's kind of what we see is he giving this job review. And so he starts with the positive, by highlighting the positive, what's, what they're doing well. And he says in Revelations 2, 2 through 3, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those, those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and, not, and have not 
grown weary. Look at this list Jesus gives. There's a lot to like about this church. There's a lot to like about the church of Ephesus. They did some great things. They worked hard. They persevered. They, they, they endured hard times. The Ephesians wouldn't tolerate wickedness. They held fast to the truths of God, and they endured hardships in Jesus's name and did not grow weary. To sum it up, they, they had endurance. They ran with endurance. They lived with endurance and sticking with the same, uh, sticking with something, even when it's hard or uncomfortable, is endurance. When you're tempted to quit, when you're tempted to give in, that's enduring. When you press through and push through, that is endurance. Anyone who's ever had a tough job but has kept going, that's endurance. Anyone uh, that has had a difficult class at school, but you knew you needed to graduate, so you press forward. I would know nothing about that, uh, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, and you press through because you know I just need to graduate. I just need to get through. I just need. I need a C or something like that. Sometimes that's the way it is. Sometimes it's cool, but I need to press through. That that's endurance. So far, their job review from Jesus is glowing. It's a glowing review. If, if that's how my job review started, I'm like, okay, like I'm doing pretty good. Like, I don't know what the negative, if there's a negative, but this sounds really good. I can fix, it might be a minor thing. Like that's how my mind works, but so far it's glowing. Up to verse three, there's a, there's a long list of things to celebrate. Now, Jesus gets to the negative of what he thinks they need to do differently and to change and how they need to turn back to him. Jesus says, before you give yourself a promotion, before you pat yourselves on the back, there's just one thing that troubles me. One thing I've noticed, and we see that in Revelations 2 verse 4. It says this, yet I hold this against you. That's, that's a tough way to start that off. Like, I hold this against you. Jesus, the Son of God, holds this against them. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love that you had for me at first. You mean it's possible to be committed to the Bible, to be committed to serve faithfully in the church and serve faithfully in your life, follow the quote-unquote rules of righteous living, yet lose your first love? Apparently so. Apparently, it, it is possible. It is possible, possible for you to serve faithfully here at Generous Church and lose your first love for God. It is possible for you to be a good person, yet lose your, your love for God. It's possible to live righteously, but lose that first love that you have for God. See, the church at Ephesus was 30 years old. The original founders had almost died off at this time. And so this other generation of Christians comes and is leading this church. And while hungry for truth, somewhere the original flame of passion they had for Christ flickered and it went out. Somewhere along the way, they lost their, their first love. They lost sight of what's most important. And see, this is the danger for those who have been following Jesus for a while. Maybe you're, a second or th maybe you're on your second or third decade of following Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church and you went on all the mission trips and you were on, if you're uh, a long time ago, if you were on all the committees, you know, uh, some people, they were on all the committees. If you were on all the committees and on all the serving teams and never miss a Sunday, like at some point you've seen it all and done it all, You've endured, you persevered, you, you're a seasoned believer, and Jesus sits across from you and says, well done, 
But I have a question for you. What happens when your faith grows old? What happens when you've been following me for a long time? What happens? What happens when you've been following me and you lose sight of what's most important? If you're not careful, if you're not careful, sometimes your heart can grow cold. Sometimes you can just start going through the emotions. Sometimes if you're not careful, you get so busy in your life and you go through the motions of life that you lose sight of what's most important. You lose sight of your first love. You lose sight of the passion you once had for God because you get so caught up in doing good and living righteously and serving that you lose sight of your passion for him. You remember when you first started dating, if you're married or dating or in a relationship or have, I guess, before, uh, you remember when you first started dating your spouse or you know the person you're in relationship with? You remember that? You remember that original flame? I remember uh, when I first started dating my wife, Bethany, who's on this front row looking beautiful, of course. Uh, I have to say that. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I remember when I first started dating her, December of 2017. Now, if you know us, you know that we're married and we have three kids and uh, we didn't waste any time. We got married within a year uh, and then a couple months later we got pregnant and then a couple months later after the first one we got pregnant and a couple of months after the second one we got pregnant. We've only been married like four and a half, not even four and a half years, I guess four and a half years. So, you know, we, we're pretty quicker than everybody else. Um, if you're doing the math, I do the math. Is that bad? Like if I'm in a conversation, this happened to me yesterday, I was just started doing the math and I was like, okay, that's the math, that's the math. And I was just like, okay, now my questions look like I'm a detective right now, so I need to get out of this conversation. But anyways, I remember when I first started dating my wife, Bethany, but I remember uh, dating her. I was in, 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 in that, you know, in, in, in our marriage, I was in that first couple of months, your head over heels in love. I love this word. You were smitten, like, you're smitten for that person. Is that, if I'm even saying that correctly, uh, you were you had passion. You 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 did things like the small things where you just you know I, I love you so much, and you're just so passionate and so lovey dovey and so tender hearted. And I remember this. I remember it like it was almost yesterday, even though it was only five years ago. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about? The first year of marriage where you know you're just so in love, and you're in the honeymoon phase. They call it. Uh, and you just cuddle every night, and you're, you're like, don't, I want to I sleep next to you. I want to sleep close to you. And then what happens? You, you get a king bed, and then there's a divide in the line. And it's like, don't come on my side. Like, stay on your side. This is my side. That's not us. That's not us. We love each other so much. All of, she doesn't want to be so far away from me. Anyways, <laughs> but you remember that. You remember that first, that first couple weeks that you started dating, the first couple months, the first years of marriage, and you're just passionate, and you're lovey-dovey. Uh, and when, when you first start dating your spouse, you're so in love with them. You're so excited about it, and you go above and beyond to serve them and to love them and to care for them. Uh, but what happens a lot of times in marriages is you start out that way, and then you, your life gets busy. You start having kids. Uh, you, you, your work gets busy. You get distracted by work. Uh, you, you start going multiple different places in a day. And you just kind of start going through the motions. And you lose sight of what's most important in your marriage. 
couples stop doing the little things. They stop doing the little things in their marriages, in their relationships. They, they start treating each other with special care. And they become casual. They become more roommates than, than lovers. They become more roommates than passionately in love with this person. And you lose sight of the love that you first had for each other. The Ephesians had this same problem. They had a heart problem. Somewhere along the way, the warm, tender, passionate heart for God that they once had, the crucified Savior, the, 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 the risen Lord, the coming King, was lost. Somewhere along the way, they lost their passion. And Jesus said, I hold this against you. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your love for me. So how do we get this back? How do we get back to our first love? How do we get back to, to passionately being after uh, loving God and passionately seeking after God? Because Jesus told the Ephesians, it's never too late to come back. It's never too late to turn things around. Again, imagine Jesus sitting across from the church at Ephesus saying, you guys do many things well. You, you, you're persevering, you're enduring, you're working hard, you're standing against sin, you're enduring opposition, but I hold fast to this truth that you have lost heart, that your heart for me, you have lost your love for me, but it's not too late to get it back. So how do we get it back? How do we get back to the first love that we had for God? And according to Jesus, in Revelations 2, verse 5, it says this. It says, consider how far you have fallen. Think about it. Meditate on it. Think about, consider how far you have fallen. And it says, repent and do the things that you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. So repent means to turn around. So if Jesus is this way and you're walking this way away from him, he's saying, turn around, do a 180 back to me. But don't just stay there. Come back and do the things that you did at first. Start walking back to Jesus. Start going back to Jesus by doing the things that you did at first. Those things that you did when you first came to faith in Christ. When, when God gripped your heart and, 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 and you uh, found Jesus in your life. Do those things that you did at, the, at first in your faith. Before I started dating Bethany, uh, we were supposed to go on our first kind of hangout date. We were going running. Who does that on a first hangout date besides us, I guess? Um, and she texted me the day before. I was a youth pastor at the time. She texted me on a Wednesday. We were going running on a Thursday. And so, like, I'm getting ready for youth that night. And she texts me, and she basically just says that she was sick, and she wouldn't be able to go. And so, like, I'm, you know, in one sense, I'm heartbroken. I'm thinking, like, does she not like me? She don't want to do it. She a scapegoat on me. And so, like, what did I do? I just asked, hey, is there anything that she needed? Is there anything that you need? And she uh, jokingly said uh, that she needed a box of tissues. She needed a cup of soup. And this is completely my wife right here. And she needed a puppy. So she needed, <laughs> she needed a box of tissues. She needed soup. And she needs a puppy. Please do not ever bring us a real puppy. Um, we got enough chaos in our hands with three kids. Uh, and what did I do? When she tell, told me this, you know, I laughed, but I immediately left work. I, I immediately left what I was doing. I ran to the closest CVS or Rite Aid or Walgreens, whatever those are, whatever it was. 
and I bought a box of tissues. I got multiple different soups that later found out that she never ate uh, because she couldn't eat them. And I bought her this stuffed animal puppy. Yes, yes, I did. We call that puppy Spot. We still have that. It has a little, like, wishbone. You know that wishbone dog? I, I don't remember that TV show that well. Uh, but it had this little spot on side, so we called it Spot. And, man, that was it. I mean, that was the rest of the story. We, we fell in love. She couldn't, she couldn't resist me after that. We, she wanted to marry me. She proposed to me. Um, just kidding. But I, I immediately took action. I immediately did something. That's, that's, before we were even in a relationship, I was like, I just want to serve you. I, I was so in love with her already. I wanted it to work out. And so like, I took action and, and the story is history or the rest is history, whatever they say. And so what do you do in the same sense? What do you do when your love for God has grown old and, and stale? What do you do when you've lost sight of your first love, which is Jesus, what do you do? You take action. You take action. If your passion for Christ has cooled off and, and, and you gotta go back and do the small stuff you did when you first believed. You gotta turn around. You gotta repent and turn around and come back to him and start doing the small things you started to do when you first fell in love with Jesus, like spend time with him. Spend time with him. Get in his word. Read his word. Pray. Put 10 to 15 minutes to side and just, just think about him and worship him and seek him. Spend time with him. Fall back in love with Jesus by spending time with him all over again. Another way is to devote some time to worship. Don't just sing three songs on a Sunday and you know, just go out and not sing until the next Sunday. Find songs on your iPhone or Android or your computer, whatever you use. Find songs and create a playlist and just worship him. Put those songs on and just sit in his presence. Sing your heart out in the shower. Sing your heart out in, in the car on your drive to work or wherever you go. Worship him. Devote some time to just honor him and surrender to him and, and proclaim his name. You don't have to say your own words. You can but you can use other songs to just worship him. Another way is to fast. Uh, you, can, you can go on a 21-day fast, and it could be physical fast, uh, like, uh, like food, like a Daniel fast, where you cut out meat or you cut out sweet and sweets and you eat fruits and vegetables. Or it could be a media fast where you cut out social media or you cut out Netflix or you cut out TV. But fasting is giving up something physical for the sake of something spiritual. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, and it weakens the cravings of our flesh and increases our appetite for God. Another way that, that, we, can, that we can take action is that we can serve. The best way to get your eyes off yourself is to serve others. Some, for some people in this room, some, one thing you just need to do is you need to serve others. You just need to get on a G team. You need to, to, to go greet some people and pray over some people in a hospital. Uh, you need to be a mentor to a G kid upstairs or a generation youth student. You need to take someone under your wing and mentor them. You need to just find ways to serve your neighbors. How can I serve my neighbors better? Uh, one way that we can just fall back in love with Jesus is by serving Others, not out of this duty, but out of authentic love for Jesus 
in others. You take action. You do the things that you did at first. Jesus says to the Ephesians, come back to me. Come back to me. Repent. Come back to me and do the things that you did at first. It's not too late. It's not too late for you to turn back. It's not too late for you to come back to me and, 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 and submit your life to me and lay down your burdens and lay down your struggles and lay down your life to me. It's not too late to repent and return to your first love. And I want to urge you to do that right now. At the start of this series, I feel like everybody in this room could come to a place where they say, God, in some areas of my life, I have turned away from you. I, I have walked away. I, have, I, have, I, I, I do some good things. Like, you're not a bad person. Like, you serve faithfully. You attend church regularly. Like, you, you pursue after God. But then there's some, some aspects of your life that you, you've just kind of held on to, to, to control of. And you say, God, I, I can't give you this right now. And you just hold on to that. And I feel like everybody in this room could come to a place where they say, God, I just need to repent. I need to turn back. And I need to start doing the things that I did at first. And I want to urge you to do that today as we kick off this incredible series. And I want to close with asking you this question. I want you to think about it. How's your heart today? How's your heart for God today? How's your passion for him? Does it burn for him? Does it, does it burn to, to love him? Does it burn to say, God, I just, I just want you and nothing else in my life. I want you to work in my life. I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. God wants you. God, God desires for you to be open. God desires for you to surrender your life to him. God desires to be as close as he can get to you. How's your heart today? Honestly, think about it. Have you grown complacent? Have you grown weary? Have you caught up, been caught up in the motions and caught up in the business of life that you've lost sight of what's important? And if you feel this conviction this morning, that's a good sign. As I was preparing, I'll be completely honest. As I was preparing this message, man, this was a hard one because it's like, okay, let me look at myself first before I can even preach this. And God worked on me. But how, how can we say, God, I, I, I surrender to you? And when you, when you say, like, when you feel that tug in your heart and tug in your life, that's, good. that's a good thing. It means the Holy Spirit is speaking and stirring something up in you, in you and your heart and your soul are listening. So receive God's invitation today. And this is a chance to repent and return back to your first love, to turn around, to do the things you did at first, to come back to Jesus. There's some people in this room, man, maybe there's some people in this room, you, you just feel like you're so far away from God. You're not a bad person, like you, you do good things, but you feel so far away from him. And there's other people in this room that they don't, you don't feel worthy to be in a relationship with God. You've messed up so many times. You've turned your back so many times. And you've ran away from him. And you've, you've done bad things. And you don't feel worthy. But God is saying, just repent 
and come back to me. Come back to me. I, I, I picture the story of the prodigal son where the son went off and he got into a whole bunch of mess and he ran away from his father and he ended up in the worst parts and he did you know he lived a great life and lived it to the fullest and then he got to a place where he was broken he was lost he was poor and he was sleeping in the pig pen and eventually he gets to this place where he's like i just got to go back like the servants are living better at my my parents house than me and he and he goes back to his dad and what happens is this incredible picture of him coming back to his father and his father sees him in the distance and he runs to him with open arms and, and embraces him and, they, and he celebrates. He throws this huge feast for him and that's what God wants to do for you. Maybe you said, I, I'm not worthy and I've done some bad things or you've, you're lacking in some areas and you've not given up control in some areas. God just wants you to turn around, to repent, do a 180 and come back to him. Start doing the things you did at first. And God wants to move in your life. And God wants to use you in a powerful way. And God is going to start mending you closer to him as you start doing what you did at first. So with every head bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room and you say, that's me. I've turned my back on God. I've turned my back on him. Maybe you're in this room, you've never given your life to God, ever. And you would say, I need God. Like, I need him. I need him to come into my life and do a work to change me, to love me, to care for me. If that is you today, and you just say, I need that. And I need to turn around. I need to come back to him. Would you just lift your hand? Amen. Amen. Multiple hands. God, I pray today. God, I thank you. Thank you for the hands that were raised. I thank you for the hands that weren't even raised, but God, you're working in their life. God, I pray right now, God, that you continue to move. God, that they continue to look to you. God, that they turn around and run to you. God, that they let nothing get in their way. No busyness. No, no work, nothing. They don't let anything get in their way, God. And they just run back to you or run to you for the first time. And I pray, God, God, as they do that, God, that they would just feel your arms around them, embracing them, Jesus. And God, I pray, God, that today be a pillar, God, in their life that they can look back to and they remember on Sunday, June 4th, God, that they turned their lives around and they ran back to you. And I praise you for what you're going to do in their life. I praise you for what you're going to do here at Generations Church, God. God, that you are going to do a work in our life. And God, we just turn our, our church back to you. God, we place it in your hands, God. And we ask, God, that you will be done. God, we ask, God, for, for you to move and for you to be in control, God, to use our church, God, in this community. And God, people see your love through us, God. God, we thank you today. And we praise you and we give you all the glory. And everybody said, amen. 
Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.